Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this bonus episode, we discuss The Tomorrow War, released in 2021 on Amazon Prime, directed by Chris McKay, written by Zach Dean. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. This is James. We're doing The Tomorrow War, which was just released on Amazon Prime, and this movie is sick. And like my expectations of it were like, eh, I guess I'll check it out. Maybe the trailer was was kind of enticing, but you couldn't really see what it was really about. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer, and I was like, I mean, that looks okay, but I mean, it, it didn't catch my fancy too much. I was like, maybe I'll check it out if it gets good reviews, and then... Um, but what I realized was the trailer was that way because they didn't give anything away. Mm-hmm. It only showed like the setup of the entire movie and all the good stuff is left in the movie and we're in the dark when you walk into this movie. And when I saw this film, I watched it alone with the lights off and blasted the, the sound. Candles burning. Candles burning. <laughs> the cat sleeping on the floor. And I was just blown away. This is like heart pounding action, intense sequences, super fun. Really funny uh, about like in themes like family and stuff, and it has it. I feel like this movie was made by fans of big blockbuster movies. Yeah, I mean the reviews are pretty bad. It's rotten on Rotten Tomatoes, except for the audience scores like eighty one percent last time I checked. But I think it's in the fifties on on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of the reviews are really mean and yeah. like attacking it. And I think you know a lot of people attack Chris Pratt's movies because outside of the Marvel franchise because of his personal beliefs which is ridiculous that shouldn't have to factor into reviewing a movie or not and i think this movie is so goddamn fun i think it's my favorite movie of the year so far obviously like dune's going to probably surpass that for me but it won't be as fun as this one but my god it was a blast and the crazy thing is it takes 45, 47 minutes for us to finally see the aliens. They just keep it hidden for so freaking long, and it's amazing. And the opening of the movie just, like, really entices you with him, like, dropping in. It looks like a Fortnite drop in <laughs> into the into the map, and he just falls into that pool. You're like, what the hell is going on? And I, I love how they did that because in the trailer, you're like, why are they recruiting all these older people? Why are they recruiting people that don't seem like they're in the best physical shape? But the movie, I don't want to, we're not going to do any big spoilers here. Well, wait, we'll wait we'll like wait a few minutes. Second half, yeah. like, they explain, because when I saw that in a trailer, trailer, I'm like, these are the recruits for the war? Yeah. But then it, everything's explained really well. Everything is thought out. And I think they did a fantastic job just creating this storyline. And I, I agree. The critics, I think, were unfairly mean. I think the reason is we're living in this like weird few-year period where I move, like a lot of critics, they want movies to be about ideology and be about like politics and be about like world worldly themes but sometimes it's like not every movie has to be like that movies can just be a flat out good time just like this is an action movie it's not trying to say anything it's not doesn't have an ideology it's pushing on you or an agenda it's just a a, a pure cinematic experience of a fun time why can't we have that more often and this movie is a blast and it, it makes sense why paramount made this movie uh, and finished it right before the pandemic hit in 2020. And then 
they couldn't release it, so they're like, what are we going to do? They sold it for $200 million to Amazon, and they put on Amazon Prime only. So it was originally going to be a theatrical release, which I wish I wish we could have seen this in theaters because yeah. it is so cool. It reminds me so much of Edge of Tomorrow. It's got a very similar vibe and, and storyline kind of, but like instead of reliving the same day, we're dealing with time travel. Yeah, I'll, there have been movies that have, been tr- that have tried to do what Edge of Tomorrow did, but Edge of Tomorrow was like lightning striking. It's amazing that movie worked out. And this movie is the next is the closest thing I've seen to Edge of Tomorrow in terms of the tone, the style, the filmmaking, the story itself, the stakes, and how everything plays out. And it, this, there's like homages to so many great classic movies in this film. Like there's a big thing reference and all the sorts thing. of Yeah, the, the thing. And so you can tell that the people who made this were really big fans of cinema. And they threw in these little nuggets of everything that we love pop culture-wise into the story. Yeah, and it was directed by Chris McKay, who is known for the Lego Batman movie, which is low-key one of the best Batman movies ever made. That movie's hysterical. He also is going to be directing the Nightwing movie, which should be pretty cool. Chris Pratt must have tapped him after the Lego movie. Yeah, and then Zach Dean wrote this. And Zach Dean, he's written some movies that I've never seen the... Um, 24 Hours to Live, Deadfall. I have not seen those movies. I but, I mean, this movie is so cool. And this cast is, is phenomenal. Chris Pratt, he's an action star. I don't know why people won't accept it. I think he's fantastic. Not doing the Star-Lord, Peter Quill, quirky stuff. And and I, I think he's just one of those actors that kind of surpassed that stereotype of being in this particular role where I can only do comedy. He's funny in this movie, but I think he's a great action hero star. He did a fantastic job because he's just the... The reserved leading man in this weathered uh, has been through so much experience, and this is a a very dramatic role as well. There's a lot of emotional stakes going on in this film. Surprisingly, they they made it very touching, and and I think that he did a fantastic job leading this. And I think that he perfectly captures like what you want in in a leading man in a big action movie. But also, he's the leading man. But there are multiple action stars in this movie. Ivan Strahovski as Colonel. Forrester is such a badass. She's so good in this movie. Yeah. She's uh, most known for, I believe, Handmaid's she's Tale. Handmaid's Tale every yeah. episode. She's yeah. she's one of the actors in that actresses in that she, show. She she plays the the wife of the man who who um, took in Alfred. Yeah, and yeah. so she is so badass and heavy action. She's shooting guns. She's she's on the fifty cal on on the Humvee shooting she, that thing and like she's crazy. In, she's in charge. Yeah, and she's yeah. she's the leader. She's like the leader of the resistance. You could say she's a top scientist because in the future aliens have almost completely wiped out the the human race. Do you want to go into a little bit of a spoiler territory? I, like I like can explain the plot kind of. Yeah, we're about six minutes in, so yeah. if if you guys have not seen this movie, go watch it then continue. But from now on, let's start spoiling this movie because it's so cool. So the setup for the movie is that thirty years in the future. Um, some kind of alien species, these creatures have overrun the entire planet. Every continent, everything has been overrun by these creatures, and they have killed nearly every single human being left. And There's there, 500,000 yeah, left. Only, only 500,000 people remain, but the people who remain, obviously they have advanced technology, so they're able to create a, a time travel device that allows them to send people back and forth. And what they explain this as being two rafts on a river because it's two points in time, but they're still moving in time. And so it's not like you can send it back to whatever time you want. They're always connected, and they're, they're two rafts on a river that are always traveling, moving through time. They basically created a wormhole. Yeah, a So wormhole, they can't yeah. say, let's go back constantly to the same period. It's like, yeah. let's go back to this point where we're currently at in this other timeline. And you can't, like, go back to uh earlier date in the future and stop the aliens from coming because— 
the device they built, it's always moving along with time. So these two things are connected and there's no way to go in between those dates or outside of those dates as they are presented. And they also don't know exactly when they think the aliens landed. They they didn't pick them up on the satellite Im imagery. They couldn't find where they came from, what planet they came from. And the crazy cool thing about it is when we find out that they were here the whole time. Who yeah. knows they had been they've been frozen under that iceberg or that that glacier in Russia for it could have been a millennia, maybe even longer. And the cool thing about it is when we find like when we eventually learn the, they, we find the spaceship that crashed in Russia at the end of the film, and it's a, it's a crash site. So, and we see the intelligent aliens just for a second who were upside down in their cockpit seats. It's like yeah. they're we don't even they don't even care about them. I love that the filmmakers no not even a close up shot. Nothing. Yeah. They don't matter. What matters is these planet killing the weapons that they've probably created. Yeah. So they're called the white spikes in the movie. And first of all. So they, they, it seems as though they were, they're some kind of bioweapon that these aliens created to, like, take over an entire planet. Because, They've probably done it thousands yeah, of times. exactly. And the white spikes, you can tell it, they're, like, perfectly efficient killers. And the creature design in this movie really blew me away because we've seen everything. And we just talked about Alien um, the last episode, and it's so hard to get creature design right. And A Quiet Place was great, yeah, too. That was probably the well. last movie to do a really great yeah. job. And the white spikes are so brilliant. They're terrifying. They're so lethal. The size of them, the way they look, and the first shot you see of the white spikes is they're in that stairwell, the team, and then they're all looking up, and they, they, someone points a flashlight at one of the white spikes for the first time, and you just see its face, and it's got these gigantic sharp teeth, and it's just like breathing really heavily, and it's intense. It's got, and they have like these tentacles that they can, they have eyeballs out of it, but then they can also shoot biological like darts out of them, which yeah, is insane. Hence the name White Spikes. So yeah. the creature design is so good, but what what works so well is it's forty seven minutes until we see them. Yeah, we don't know what they look like. All we have is like that that hook that uh one of the act one of the uh, soldiers brought back because he's been a few times of one of the first white spikes that was killed mm -hmm. and then even when we get there in the future with Chris Pratt's character Forrester and they land on the on the roof we still don't see them for several several minutes we see them kind of through the binoculars but they do a great job of hiding it and you hear them yeah that's just, they really build up the tension where you, you're listening and you keep hearing these like ferocious screams screams and groans and then when they get to the lab in that building you're like full tilt, like what the hell is gonna happen? There's gonna be something popping out, and there's blood everywhere. The spikes in the there's, walls, yeah, yeah it's so like, curious. What's going on? And that explains why in the binoculars, like all the humans on the ground, they immediately like were taken out by something simultaneously, and we didn't know what it was at first, and then we learned, oh, because they were shot by the spikes by this group, by like, this herd of creatures. Yeah, and so Chris Pratt plays this character Dan Forrester, who is ex-military. He was a special ops leader, so he's a former tactical. Um, expert, you could say, but he's now a science teacher, and um, he's got his family, and they're watching. They're, it's like Christmas Day. They're watching that soccer soccer match. Then the or football or the football match in a uh, footy, and um, the people from the future come back in time, and that's the first time that anyone's seen anything. And they tell the situation, and then a draft begins to happen. And the cool thing about the cool concept about this draft is. Everyone, every kind of person is in it. It doesn't matter what you look like, your gender, your race, your your age. You're all, everyone's is has, is susceptible to getting drafted. So, like, super equal draft, which is, you know, 
this this movie has a great diversity also like yeah. the, it's a ton of inclusivity in this cast which is phenomenal yeah they did a, they did a fantastic job and like i mentioned about the trailer that i found confusing when you saw the trailer you're like why are why are these older people being drafted like it doesn't really make sense when they get just yeah. all the soldiers to go into the exactly. future exactly and then we learned that in order for you to be sent to the future you have to be dead in that time in but in the future by the time that, yeah. yeah and so the people in the future they have all the records of everyone's death dates and stuff so they know who's who dies at what certain date and so that's why people who are drafted they're selected because at that time period they're not alive anymore yeah they say there would be some sort of paradox so they're avoiding a paradox the grandfather paradox yeah so yeah. yeah which is actually cool to clear that up so then it, after that i was like oh okay that makes total sense because then you could just send it. people over and over and over again so exactly. why not send your best soldiers constantly yeah exactly the moments leading up to them going through the wormhole is awesome yeah like, lauren balf did the music for this and he's one of our favorite composers he's done he's worked with hans zimmer a lot and he most recently um did the last mission impossible film and he jacks this up like this the score for this with the big drums a lot of synth and just great brass and strings this amps you up and the sequence leading up to them going into the wormhole you are so juiced you're like let's go i don't know <laughs> what's gonna happen but this is intense and i am pumped up and Chris Pratt is doing a great job as this character, and we learn that even if you get drafted, you have about a, you have like a week of training before you go into the future, and then while you're there, it's a week, and then you come back if you survive. And so they put that arm thing on your entire forearm, which mm -hmm. will send you to the future and, and back. And it's a really cool situation where we have like black, I mean not the black, I mean what's it called, like the the black market situation yeah. where J.K. Simmons' character. He can take that off, and you can avoid the draft somehow. I think his name's James. Yeah, James, yeah. which we eventually learn is his father, who's who's absolutely jacked in this movie. He's massive. J.K. Simmons, because remember in 2016 there were those viral photos where he was just absolutely yoked out of his mind for Justice League. No, he wasn't even doing for it for Batman for Superman. No, it wasn't even. No. He just did it because yeah. he had the free time. Yeah, yeah. And he was working. I can't remember which movie he was working on with the trainer. He's like, yeah, I just I had the free time and I just got addicted to it. That's awesome. But yeah. um. He, I don't know what he's taking, but like if you look at, he's got to be sixty-eight years old, and he is, he's bigger, better shape than Chris Pratt in this movie. Yeah, hundred percent, which is crazy. And this movie, I think that a lot of uh, people who have served in the military would love this movie. I think it was especially made for them because they deal, they talk a lot about like PTSD, especially James. He, he was someone who uh, came back from Vietnam and was very disillusioned, and he kind of he left his family and abandoned Chris Pratt's character, um, Dan, and his mom. And that has put a wedge between them. And then, ironically, we learn that Chris Pratt's character, Dan, will eventually do the same thing to his own daughter and his wife. Uh, because when he meets um, Colonel Forrester, who actually is his daughter in the future, he learns that the little girl, Muri, his little girl, is actually the leader of the resistance of humanity 30 years from now. He learns from her that just like his father, Dan left his family as well. And what happened was he also got disillusioned. Um, I, I think it's less about PTSD for him and more about not being able to fill, fulfill what he thinks is untapped potential because the movie opens with him getting turned down for a job offer that he really wanted. And uh, you can see in that little scene how um, he, he feels like my life's not really working out the way I wanted it to. And he's lost sight of what really matters, and that's family. So by the end, this he goes through a great journey of understanding that my family, it, I already had everything I needed in my life. And 
but he was too focused on his career to realize that. Yeah, he says that I'm meant to do something great with my life, and it's sad because his daughter and his wife are on either side of him when he says that, and he's like holding tears back. And then, but so if the Tomorrow War never happened, he would have left his child and yeah. he would have left his family. But because of the Tomorrow War, he gets drafted because they say that in seven years' time you're gonna die, and then he goes into the future. And when 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 we go into the future, it is so epic because there, there's an issue with the coordinates when they're plugging them in and sending them through the wormhole and so they're, they're supposed to land on the beach but they fall on top of a skyscraper yeah they're supposed to land uh fall from like five feet from the ground is the way it's five to, to ten be. feet but they all land on top of a skyscraper the lucky people fall into that pool yeah. up there everyone else like as soon as we're there people are smashed into the buildings yeah. and we're like oh my god yeah. this is intense once that once people start like breaking into buildings you're like whole and you see like the cr- a crowd of people just falling down. They miss the building, and they're just going down to the streets. Yeah, it's but, insane. But we've never seen a movie where we have a ton of like, just normal people having to fight in a war. I really like that because, like, if you made it made you really relate to them. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like war is difficult, and these people they were thrust into it without a choice, just like drafts back in the day where lots, so many young men were. Forced to fight, and they didn't know anything about. They they were just innocent kids, most graduated high school. Yeah, but they had to go to storm the beaches of Normandy or go to Vietnam without a choice. And I think that this film really represented what that was like for people. Yeah, and so they're tasked with getting retrieving those samples from the lab for 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 Colonel Forrester, and then they a few of them make it out eventually. But when we finally see the the white the white spikes in the stairwell. My God, this is insane! It, it, I I don't think I've ever seen a movie with a bullet count as high as this movie <laughs> because they're just constantly unloading, emptying clips for the entire movie. Yeah. I've never seen so many bullets fired, and it's, it's crazy because the the white spike spikes are very well evolved because they're in ter- they're very Designed strong. This way. Th- yeah, they're very strong exterior shells that they can use as shields, and they can take a ton of damage. And their really o- only weakness is their bellies. Their bellies are their heads. Yeah, and when the first white spike attacks. You don't realize how big they are until this thing, it just storms down down the center of the stairwell. It's so big, it could take up that entire space. And the way they filmed it, McKay did a great job. It's so intense. It just thunders right towards the camera. And you're like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? And then you realize how difficult they are to kill because Dan's just unloading on them. So is Charlie, his his, his uh, new like sidekick. And they're unloading on this thing, and it's not doing anything to it. And even if you cut one head off, another one comes out right in front of it. Yeah. So they're always just like replacing each other from the, if another one gets hurt. Yeah, and that sequence is great because that entire sequence, so they get to the lab, they find whatever chemicals, he doesn't really know what it is. That he found what uh, Colonel Forrester asked him to get, and then they leave the building, but and then they're running through the city, and they're being chased by the white spikes, and and this is this is the first action sequence, but it feels like it's the climax of a movie. Yeah, it's so intense and so much going on. You're like, wow, this movie just started. This is crazy. Well, kind of. We're again, yeah. we're 50 minutes, 55 yeah, yeah, minutes yeah. in. There's like four movies. A long movie. There are like four movies in this yeah. movie, but there are like four intense action sequences. And then just like realistically, these people who aren't soldiers, they obviously most of them don't make it. And it's actually pretty moving watching these, like the woman and that that big guy, like. They're both injured. They can't keep moving, and then they're just like unloading on the monsters running towards them. It's like last ditch effort. Like that's all they can do. And they were just yesterday. They were just normal people. Yeah, they're trying to avoid that airstrike, which hits Mm. and kills most of them. But then they survive. And then Forrester meets his daughter, and it's really moving because you think it's gonna be a great like moment for them to reconnect finally. And he's been gone for for thirty years from her life, but 
we eventually find out that they – she doesn't say it immediately, but they had a falling out, and she doesn't tell him until they're on that helicopter going to capture the queen. Yeah, he, like we said earlier, he abandoned them, and it's caused her to resent him, and then she was there the day of his death. So she has uh, – seeing him again is very uh, – complicated for her and Dan can't believe it because we saw him in the first act as this wonderful husband this loving father a really great science teacher so you can't imagine someone that that's not that is that good of a person leaving their family and, and abandoning them yeah yeah it's, it's I think it's what they did was a really great job writing this with the characters but I think James explains it really well what happened with him when he's talking to, to um, Forrester when he's trying to get the armband off at first. He's like, you don't understand. Like, I came back from Nam a different person. It yeah. would have been worse for you if I stayed at home. So maybe they kind of have a same kind of situation where even though Forrester wasn't coming back from war but from missing out on the jobs, he maybe had the same sort of reaction to a great It's loss. always difficult for soldiers to to come back in a normal life mm-hmm. whenever they come home from overseas. It's always an issue. So yeah. and it's, it's difficult for peop- for just normal civilians to understand. And even when Forrester comes back from the future, we'll, we'll talk about what happens before that, but watching him come back and seeing his wife and you think, oh my God, is he going to leave them? What's he going to do? And like the tunnel vision coming from off the air, off the off that that runway yeah. or, or the tunnel that he's walking through, and then he barely can even look at his wife. And then, but he he gives his his daughter that beautiful hug, and you kind of realize that I think he's gonna try to solve the, solve the situation of what he thinks his destiny is of leaving them. Yeah, and and this movie is really well paced once it gets going, because we we settle down with Colonel Forrester, and we learn like there's a females in this in this hierarchy of the creatures, and the females are. Are a lot bigger, but interestingly, they've tried poisoning. Well, it looks like there's just one queen. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. So in this area, it's, pro- a, it's a. I think it's the, just the one queen. Yeah, that's all there yeah. was on the ship. So yeah. I think it's like the hive mentality of like bees or ants, where there's one queen and the rest are males, just kind of tra- serving the queen. Yeah, you're, you're probably right with that for sure. And the idea is that they've tried to kill off the species with toxins, but the female has always survived, and so they need to capture it. And this sequence of them capturing the the female. Uh, White Spike is so fantastic. The CGI looks unbelievably good. Like, I was blown away with the creature effects in this film. It looks like this thing is for real with the actors in the scene, and it's all CGI. They did a phenomenal job. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I was also blown away by the visual effects and, and creature design and everything, because they show so much of it. Mm-hmm. They, they hide it from you for the first 50, 45, 47 minutes, but then they show you it constantly, which is so incredible that they pulled it off like that. Yeah. And then they capture the queen, and they bring it back, and she's able to find the right genome toxin. I don't know anything about chemistry to figure out what what will take it out and this base is cool because it's like it seems to be like the last stand place for humanity it's like zion it's like zion but in the middle of the ocean it's like i think it's eight miles off the coast of the bahamas or something yeah and um so fast forward so then they they get she succeeds in creating the toxin that will take out the queen and the species this is a little bit of a boring part you know we don't need to go too much yeah it's like it's like there are some plot holes guys and it it does get slow at times the writing's not perfect the dialogue's not perfect this movie's so fun though yeah you just gotta accept it It is what it is yeah and then uh, the queen starts to call on on the rest of the white spikes, and they come and they start attacking the the water base, and they go into the minefields. And it was like World War Z. There's like hundreds of thousands of them attacking. Yeah. It's crazy. This sequence it reminded me just like the zombies invading Israel in uh, World War Z when they start breaching the walls and stuff. And the Sentinels in Matrix Revolution. Yeah, exactly. It was insane. And this is where like things are. It's really going. Like you're into it. Like because Dan learns from from the Colonel that. She brought him to the future for a specific reason, knowing that she could trust him to bring back the toxin more than anyone else. 
and that's what he do- that's why he's here and so it's a mad dash to first they're trying to escape the area on the helicopter but then the entire base gets overrun with so many white spikes that it gets to the point where he just has to survive long enough to be sent back because he has like literally like a minute left on his wristband until he's sent back to the past. Yeah, and also Dan, I don't think he completely understands the time travel aspect because he wants to come back and try to save this timeline as well as the other timeline. So he has a, a timeline before he has to exp- leave and he's going to expire his time there and he's going to be sent back to his original timeline. But he still wants to save that timeline and save his daughter there. And and that's shown uh, explicitly when the queen's chasing and hunting them down after they start raiding the entire base. And then the queen grabs Colonel Forrester and pulls her down into the ocean and then Dan dives after her, which is one of the craziest shots I've ever seen because she is just falling into, you can't even see the water. There are yeah. so many white spikes in there ready to catch the queen and her. And it's yeah. terrifying. But Dan's trying to sacrifice himself just so his daughter doesn't feel an ounce of pain. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, a shot of the wide shot. They snuck into the trailer for just a second. And that for that that shot, I think, is what enticed me to put the movie on. Because the whole trailer, I wasn't super impressed, like I said earlier, but I remembered that shot. I was like, what is that shot? It's pretty wild. It seems like there's a ton of creatures, and people are, like, in the, like falling towards them. I was like, that's a really interesting shot. And I think that that moment in the trailer is what made me go, made me go like, you know what, let me watch this movie and see what, see what it's like. But also it shows, like, Forrester understands this is it. The Humanity is dead yeah. unless you can bring this toxin back and can convince it to be mass reproduced so that we can fight the white spikes when they start to invade. Yeah, it's like he literally watches humanity fall, fail. It's crazy. It's over. So it's like, crazy. The, the world's going to end. Literally, like, we, we always have a movie where, like, oh, the world's going to end. Like, this thing's going to crash. Yeah. But to watch the world actually end yeah. and then go back in time to try to solve it, I don't think I've seen that in a movie before. Yeah, I don't think so either. Because after this base gets overrun, you can only imagine there's only so many humans left after maybe, this moment. Yeah, maybe. And they were, it seems to be, like, this is where all of the last people who, like, like Colonel, she's an expert in, uh, she's a scientist in many fields and so she's probably like the only person alive who can do these things in the lab that's left that must be the only like military-esque base in the world because it has several countries world flags on like the the flagpole exactly so i think it's like the last in this is this is it there's probably only a a dozen scientists left in in total yeah around the entire world but the white spikes they're so terrifying too because they obviously on the ground they're they're terrifying, but they can swim. They can also glide. Like they jump and they have like oh, those, yeah, yeah. those flying squirrels. Like, squirrel. <laughs> like oh my god! And then the helicopter cuts them up with the propellers. It's wild. It's, it's insane. Oh man! But then this movie, you think it, you think it's over because I anticipated because Dan comes back to the past with the vial of the toxin. So you're like, okay, he succeeded. He got the toxin, and you think like, oh, the military is there's probably gonna be like two minutes left of the movie. Military will take the toxin. And they'll be like prepared for when the aliens invade in the Great future. Great job, Dan! Like it's over, but not even close. There's still like 35 minutes left of this movie because we realize that Dan's trying, starting to put together like these aliens. They didn't land here at where we thought when they thought they did. Everyone was thinking like they must have landed in like 2048. His wife too. Yeah, his wife too. They must have landed in 2848. And no one saw it. But then they realized like, what if they came before that? They could have come any time before, like, even the 2000s. It could have been before that. 
And so he's, he puts together his old crew from from the uh, the future, and they start investigating. And it's, it's, this is actually like a really nice, light, playful part of the movie. Like I love the the scene in school with that the volcano kid. Yeah, because they they find they use the claw that the that uh, Dorian brings back yeah. around his neck, and they find the volcanic ash uh, from a Chinese volcanic eruption. Also within Russia, I think, or something like that. Mm. But also before this, it's really important to note that he comes back and he's trying to tell everyone that, like, I have this toxin for the future. But since everyone, they lost communication, the, the antenna's down, they can't go back and forth to the future so that there's no way to travel and the war's over. And that so, put the world in disarray. Yeah, and so all the countries of the world are on lockdown with themselves and they're all about to become enemies with each other. And in the, and obviously the bureaucracy's involved and that... A, that p- American politician, he, he l- seems like a general, maybe, or or something. something he's yeah. like, uh, or Secretary of State or Defense or something. Yeah, probably Secretary of Defense. Yeah. That's the kind of vibe he gives. He's like, if if we don't kill each other before the aliens end, the world's gonna end no matter what. So I mean, we're all on lockdown. We're all, and you can assume there would be a World War Three before this within the next year. Yeah, exactly. And so. Dan and his team, they're like, let's squad up and do it ourselves, bro. He's like, you want me to fund a secret um, task <laughs> to go to Russia and under chart and, and what's it called? Charter plane. Charter plane to, to Russia. Illegal airspace to led, led by a science teacher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because uh, first Dan knew someone who an expert in volcanoes, that kid from the class. And that's super funny what he's like. He's like, this is his moment to shine. But they, they tease in the beginning yeah, of the film they, in the yeah. class. He's like, and what does he want to talk about? Ancient Vol- volcanoes. Ancient volcanoes. <laughs> <laughs> and then also his dad, because we established that he's been off the grid, but also he's been he, – he's very sophisticated. He's a master in engineering. So he is the perfect person to get them into Russia. Mm-hmm. And then we got like a whole new other movie that's with this. what I this. mean. There's like three, four movies this. In is this. the part where the movie turns into like a version of the thing and they go to Russia – it looks like in in Siberia or something, somewhere around there, where a lot heavy snow and glaciers have formed. And yeah, yeah, heavy snow. Yeah, yeah, heavy, heavy snow. And it's 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 a lot of fun. The the montage of them driving these uh, snowmobiles through the areas, and yeah. I'm watching this and I'm like, this movie's crazy. Yeah. There's so much to it. It's There's awesome. So much more to it. Yeah. And then and then they find the ship and they cut in and they find like they realize that the white spikes after they find the cockpit in the actual intelligent beings that were driving the ship and it's a it's a crash site. it's a crash site they crash landed who knows how long ago they've been frozen under this glacier for could be thousands tens of thousands of years hundreds of thousands of years who knows and the white spikes are cargo they're storage because clearly they're going to bring here bring them here to destroy this planet to take it over yeah and once again, like we get just surprised with another intense action sequence because they find what they think is just like a small bay with like a dozen white spikes that are in some kind of hyperbolic chambers or whatever, and then they uh, they uh, inject the toxins into a few of them and it, the toxin works. It's, it it fucks them up. But they time. didn't take out the queen. No, they get you got to do the queen first. Plot hole, man. But like, it's okay. But it's crazy intense. Okay. The queen breaks free right before Dan can get injected. And then a few others break free. But then something really crazy happens where – so Dan chases after the queen to leave the ship. And then um, Dorian and the lieutenant go to kill the two that escaped inside the ship. And then the lieutenant, when she chases that, she finds an entire colony, like Matrix-style Thou- thousands, 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 thousands of, of them, them inside like this probably hidden giant bay within the ship that we didn't see at first. And you're like – Oh my god, like they didn't even they didn't reproduce. They there were just this many of them already. It's yeah. insane. But then they have to catch the queen because who knows if she's pregnant and could like what uh JK Simmons James says like if the, she's going to like lay an egg or whatever they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got a ton of great one-liners yeah, in this yeah, movie. Yeah. And then yeah, it turns into the thing and then we're 
where they're hunting the well, queen. Well, first they blow up the ship. Wait, Dorian blow- and the lieutenant blow up the ship, sacrifice themselves. And then and also Charlie with the sh- with the saw. Oh, my God, with the chainsaw. Light that one up because James oh is using a sniper. He takes two up, but the other one's going to get And then Charlie he can't get his gun to work. Then he pulls out the table. So I was like, ah. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so oh, cool. my God, I love that. And then it's awesome because it's a hunting movie now. It's yeah. a hunting movie. Yeah, there's so kinda- many things to this movie. Yeah, and so now James and... Dan hunt the queen in the snow, and it's a great sequence of them. Like James tricks it with the coat, and then starts sniping it, and then Dan smashes his freaking snow. It's so awesome. Snow, what do they call that? Snow, snowmobile. Snowmobile into the queen, and then yeah. it's like back and forth. It's so awesome. And then this is this epic fight where first they're using their guns on it, but then the queen escapes, even though she got tagged by by James real well. You tagged her, Dad. You, 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 you tagged her good. And then, but then uh, the queen attacks them, um, surprises them. And basically disarms Dan. And then there's this moment where Dan's like, I don't know, how am I going to defend myself? And he pulls the claw. Um, Dorian gave him the claw earlier before he sacrificed himself. And then Dan just attacks the queen with the claw. And he's just like stabbing it. He, he, well, first, James tries to sacrifice himself by drawing her yeah. with blood because he, they blinded it earlier. And then as the queen's going after him, you think, oh, man, James is dead. Like, oh, well, it's, like, it's going to be a, a nice ending to his life. And he went out with a, a bang. nice ending. <laughs> well, he went out saving the world. Being Yeah, but being eaten by an alien. Well, they would have fallen to the cliff. <laughs> they wouldn't have eaten her. We're eating him. And that, but then Dan jumps on its back and just slices its throat open with the claw. It's insane. Yeah, and he's, like, basically punching it with the claw. And it's, yeah. it's a great thing because... Dan's a badass. Yeah. He's punching this alien in the face. Yeah. And then he just <laughs> kicks it off the cliff and it just smatters, splatters. Well, well, he gets he, the toxin in his head and it just starts dissolving like Indiana Jones style. Yeah. It's so awesome. Did you tell it to die? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, die. And then it just smashes to bits on the on the rock side below and it's and then they all fall down on their backs. It's super funny. Yeah. It's just so much fun. And they saved the world. They saved yeah. the future. And yeah. then the world finds out about this giant explosion in Russia. And then the Secretary of Defense in America takes credit for the whole situation and say, oh, I would have done it again. Um, but it, realistically, I'm sure that they would have picked up by, been picked up by Russian military and put inside of a prison and, yeah. and ride their lives yeah. out forever. Vladimir would have been like, what are you doing? We don't care that you saved the world. <laughs> yeah, we did this. <laughs> but it's a great, great movie, great ending, very happy ending. He's with his family reunited, and then uh, he introduces his daughter to her grandfather, whom she's never met. And it's very touching and emotional. And as soon as the went, we cut to black and credits started rolling, we were screaming. Yeah. I was like, let's go! Let's go! Let's go! Let's go to war! <laughs> I can run through a wall. My God. I was so jacked up. We were screaming multiple yeah. times during the movie. Yeah. I, I think oh, I man. screamed like 10 times. This movie is sick! It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy, man. Well, I remember seeing when, when, like we said earlier, when they cut to them falling in the city in the future for the first time, and you see a body smash against the top of the, the building, I literally screamed. I was like, let's go! I was like, I realized what the movie was yeah. in that moment. Not, you're not cheering for someone getting killed by a skyscraper, yeah, yeah. but like to show that the, this is what the movie's going to be about. Yeah, it's going to be hard R, epic. super epic, heavy action. And I, I said after the movie was over, it's like, there's so many big blockbuster action movies, but they're always PG-13. And when they're rated R, it makes the experience so much better. And this movie proved it. Like, we want to see this stuff. And it, it making it rated R, seeing people, seeing the blood and guts, seeing gore, it really makes all the world a difference in the believability of, of what's going on. Yeah, and this shattered streaming records for anything on Amazon Prime. I bet it would have beat anything on Netflix, too. Because, yeah. man, this movie was so good. And, um, again, don't listen to the goddamn critics. The best way to rate a movie that you haven't seen... 
Rotten Tomatoes audience score is usually a pretty good go-to because people know what they like. Yeah. When the movie's over 80% on the audience score and it's below 50 or in the 50s on the critic score, that's because the critics are full of shit yeah. and <laughs> they have a they have a they go in a lot of people went into this movie wanting to hate it, knowing to hate it, went in probably like shaking with rage. Hey, <laughs> oh, Chris Pratt. Oh my god, I can't take it. I I read we read a, a review. I read a few reviews from IGN. Yeah, and one of them It's a big media company. Yeah, the reviewer spent an entire paragraph making fun of Chris Pratt's eyebrows, like making fun of the way he looks. When he's like focused, and it's like, what kind of review is that? That's pretty immature of you to just like make fun of his face. I mean, that's he, that's how he moves his face. He can't, he can't, he doesn't decide that. It's like very. I think people walked into it like you said, already not liking Chris Pratt for who he is, and judging the movie before they walked into it, and also not having an ideology, not having a political agenda, not having crazy themes that are relevant to what's going on, but just being a flat-out fun time. A lot of people walk into movies, not a lot of critics walk into movies. If, it, if it's a movie like that, they're like, screw this movie. Every movie should be a, like a political activist. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? I had a great time watching this. If you, I, I, I could not recommend this movie more enough. If this is your type of thing, if you like fun movies, action like old school kind of movies like this, like this is right up your alley. It's so fun. Yeah. And th- yeah, there's plenty of shots and times where like, oh, it's definitely green screen or you can see. And yeah, there are plot holes and, and it does get slow and the dialogue can be a little clunky here and there. But if you just like accept it and just like sit back and enjoy the ride, you're going to love it. I watched this two nights in a row. That's Me how too. much fun yeah. I had. <laughs> I had so much fun watching this movie. It was so cool. Yeah, man. All right. Um, well, got some fun facts on yeah, tomorrow. See, there's not a ton because it's yeah, it's it just came new. out. Let me see what we got. Um, actually, this is the first time Chris Pratt was the executive producer on a movie, and so that's pretty cool. I'm I'm sure he made a good amount of cheddar off of that. Yeah, he he made the movie. Like he bought this. I think he bought the script, and that's usually what put, EP is. Yeah, they're the yeah. people retain the rights yeah, for the for yeah. the film or story. Exactly. He put the whole thing together. Whereas producers, like, make the movie. Yeah. So he wasn't a producer. He was an executive producer. There's not a ton of facts. There's, actually, there's, I can't find any because... Well, maybe I'll, I'll make, some, so, I'll make so some TikTok clips for y'all, it's so new. like, there's next not, week. There's not a lot of more. stuff out there. But, um, yeah, I'm sure if you watched this, listened to this whole episode, you saw it and had a blast, too. And a bunch yeah. of people hit us up on on Instagram and, and sent us DMs because I posted that it was my favorite movie of 2021 so far. And people are like, are you sure? I haven't, I've read the reviews and it seems really mixed. I'm like, bro, watch the movie. And then they watch it. They're like, oh my God, this was epic. Yeah, insane. If you like Edge of Tomorrow, you like this. Oh yeah. That's basically it. 100%. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in to this bonus episode of The Tomorrow War starring Chris Pratt on Amazon Prime streaming right now. Let's go. Let's watch it and have some fun. LFG. <laughs> Take care. Raiders of the Lost Podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.